Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. I'm your host, Jacob Rude. Uh, coming to you, we've averted disaster. The Celtics are not going to be NBA champions. I know that was a handful of days ago, but uh, the relief that swept over me was uh, quite extreme. Uh, I enjoyed watching the Warriors finish that one off. And now we're heading into draft week, uh, exciting time as always. And to talk about the draft, there's nobody else I would uh, rather have on than one of my, uh, probably the the person I've known longest on Lakers Twitter, uh, my good friend, Mike Garcia. Mike, man, uh, is this like Christmas this time of year for you? Uh, it usually is. I usually set the day all to myself on draft day altogether to uh to just pay attention to the draft, just have have a drink, set some popcorn on the side, and sit out the four hours. So <laughs> yeah, it is Christmas in that sense. It's uh it's exciting times, uh, and especially this year where uh it certainly sounds as we're recording this on Saturday, the Lakers haven't traded for any pick. I don't imagine they're gonna do it until probably draft night itself when they get a better sense of who's available and whatnot, but the Lakers want to move into the the second round. Rob Palenka has outright said that they want to buy a second round pick. I think based on the money available, they theoretically could buy two picks. That's asking a lot of a Lakers franchise who uh, has not wanted to spend money. Uh, So we will settle for them just buying one second round pick. They certainly have worked out a lot of guys and, a good amount of those have been prospects that would be drafted, uh, guys who would be second-round picks. So um, let's dive into it from that angle first. A couple of the guys that they've worked out that look like they're going to be drafted, and I know that they're guys that you like as well. I want to start talking uh, Jabari Walker and Keon Ellis first. Uh, a couple of wings. Um I'll just let you take it away. What you like and don't like about each of those guys. So uh, let's start with Jabari Walker. Um, What I like about Jabari Walker is he fits a lot with the defensive identity of the Lakers 2020 team. And usually I don't, uh, I think I've mentioned before on prior pods that we've done together. I don't usually look for draft by fit, right? I look Mm -hmm. for a best player available. And in this case, um, it's kind of the same general tier of talent. So if it's the same general tier of talent, you're looking for some kind of competency that leans into the culture of the team. And I think that's what Jabari does. He plays with a lot of energy. He's a defensive oriented player. He's, you know, he, it's funny because he's listed at six, six and a half without shoes. He probably has a six ten plus wingspan. So he is generally wing sized, but he looks comfortable defending from the post down to closing out on the shooters to one V one man defense along the perimeter, that kind of defensive versatility is important for this Laker team. And literally the only thing he needs to do offensively is shoot threes. And I think he was just shooting low thirties to mid 30% this season. Um, He had a better shooting season uh, the prior year as a freshman coming off the bench. I think it was like 
uh, low to mid 40%, but it was on a low amount of volume and he had uh, more defensive attention this year. But sometimes the Lakers are just looking for rotation players. Hey, is there a defender we can bring off the bench that has a size, that has some level of competency, and can he space the floor? Jabari Walker is that guy. And then there's Keon Ellis, and Keon Ellis is the guy that really stood out for me this draft cycle. Um, he's listed at six feet and a half without shoes. He's got long arms for his height, uh, roughly six eight or so. But what stood out was not only is he really comfortable being a high volume three-point shooter. He's a mid 30% shooter too. He's a point of attack defender and he plays with a ton of energy at that end. Um, he's already skinny. I think he's like listed at roughly 170 pounds at six feet and a half. So, so much, that's so much for his size, but gets skinny. He kind of slides around picks. He has a lot of uh, it, like, it's really difficult to defend point of attack blocking drive angles, passing angles. And yet he has a way of, actually doing that with this kind of energy and defensive focus. And the most important thing that happened this year compared to last is he reduces foul trouble a lot. And usually that kind of transfer, like it's good to have a ton of motor and a lot of defensive activity, but if you foul a lot, you're not on the floor. Well, he reined that in, got some defensive discipline, and now his, he's a high volume three-point shooter, the defense point of attack. Absolutely, the Lakers could use that kind of guy as well. And these are two guys generally, depending on where you look, uh, they are ranked as prospects that are going to be in the second round. Whether you want to take a look at Tankathon, they're both uh, within the top 60. I guess there's only technically 58 picks this year. Uh, Sam Vecini over at The Athletic have these guys. Um, Ellis is 61. Jabari Walker's 49. Uh, so these are guys that it seems like are going to be second round picks. Uh, things obviously tend to get interesting toward the end of the second round guys um, don't want to be drafted. I mean, Austin Reeves is a, a prime example was telling guys or telling teams don't draft me. And then he went to the Lakers. Uh, so a lot could change here and that maybe the Lakers, that's why the Lakers are working some of these guys out. I mean, uh, Walker, um, I believe is from California. I believe he's from Inglewood. Um, so maybe there's some, some hometown love there and he, he gives us the, the Austin Reeves treatment, but big thing I, I know you noted on both of those was defense. And uh, that's usually kind of one of the hangups when it comes to the second round prospects um, that there's usually only one end of the floor that they can generally hang on. And that kind of limits the amount of playing time for a Lakers team that didn't defend well, much of last season. Uh how I mean, are these guys that could step in? I mean, they're both kind of wing players. Are these guys that could step in and, and compete specifically on that end of the floor next season? So I, I definitely think they can compete. Uh, I think it says a lot when you're well, when I'm talking about both of them as high energy, high motor players that are uh, keeping down their foul trouble and then still using that defensive activity to, you know, protect the rim or force some turnovers or cut off an angle or fight screens, whatever else it might be. So, you know, the thing is, I'm mindful that they're going to get the rookie treatment and the rookie treatment is not nice. And that's going to lead to foul trouble anyway. Reeves himself, high motor yeah. player. And he got into some defensive foul trouble, too. I mean, veterans on the floor just see, oh, it's a first year player. I'm just going to go right at this guy. And the thing is, Ellis can compete there at least. Walker can compete there at least. If we're just playing these guys, let's just say 10, 15 minutes a game. 
those are great 10 minutes at important positions, whether it's wing and being switchable between multiple positions for Walker or point of attack and maybe chasing shooters with Keon Ellis. And the other thing you mentioned that is intriguing is the high energy part, because that's something the Lakers also did not have, especially at the beginning of last season. And that's, I think, why uh, signing a guy like Stanley Johnson or winning Gabriel basically off the street, you saw what impact those guys had just by getting on the floor and playing with energy. Uh, Austin Reeves obviously is another example, and it's not a coincidence that those guys ranks high in terms of kind of net ratings, especially playing with LeBron and whatnot, uh, that you saw success with those guys just running the floor hard, competing on both ends of the floor. Uh, I I mean, you, you kind of mentioned this, but is that kind of um, the mindset, I guess, these guys play with that high energy, kind of like a Stanley, a Winion, a Austin Reeves, guys like that? Yes, that's that's absolutely what kind of drew me to them as NBA prospects. If I was looking on behalf of, an, of another team, I would still consider them in the same general spot. Um, I have both of them roughly ranked on my board, I, I think mid-30s to mid-40s or something like that. And every team needs players that play with a certain motor and kind of bounce. And for this Laker team, especially last year, it was not easy to watch. There were a lot of times where there just wasn't energy on the floor. And I actually found it more enjoyable when Wenyin or Stanley Johnson and Reeves were playing because you could see that the effort was there. It may not be successful, but you know they're trying. And then stuff like that, I think, goes a long way for a veteran team. Usually we see championship teams second year, third year. Not only is it hard because they played the long prior season, it's just really tough to sustain that kind of high energy level all throughout the season. And if you kind of load up a roster with high energy guys, Sometimes that's infectious and that can go a long way, especially for guys that are playing around, you know, Anthony Davis, assuming he's healthy, LeBron James, assuming he's healthy. Those guys will handle a lot of the skill work. We just need the extra effort plays of we need possessions, a couple made three point shots, the occasional offensive rebound. You have that around those two guys and that goes far for the Lakers overall. Quote that stuck out with me last season. Um, uh, It was, Actually, something David Fisdale said during his brief time as head coach uh, when Vogel was in health and safety protocols. This was obviously around Christmas when he was coaching, but he said the Lakers just didn't have guys who wanted to do the dirty work. And that was something that they struggled with because on paper, you bring all these veterans in and it seems like it's a, a really talented team, but it's a lot of veterans who are used to other people doing that dirty work, that energy stuff. And now you're asking Carmelo to do that. You're asking whoever to Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore. You need those guys to do the dirty work, and they're not used to it. So, um, and, and again, that was before or early on after they signed Stanley, before Winion uh, Reeves had been in health and safety protocols. He hadn't played a ton at that point. Uh, so you didn't have a lot of that. And so getting guys like that, Jabari Walker, Keon Ellis, whoever it may be, I'll be interested to see if that's something the Lakers are targeting those energy guys that are willing to make those scrappy type of plays, the, the intangible stuff that I didn't, the Lakers just didn't have a ton of last season. The, the, 
outside of Ellis and Walker, there are a number of guys that, that you really like. So tell me some of the, the guys that you um, just in general that you're kind of eyeing as well on top of those two guys. So one is uh, Vince Williams Jr. out of uh, VCU. And he's listed roughly around six, five and a half with a seven foot wingspan. He's a left-handed wing. Um, what surprised me about him is sure he's wing size, but he's a capable three-point shooter that shows some acumen with making some doing some playmaking within the half-court set, just finding the open guy under the hoop, um, taking advantage of a weakness on the defense for leaving a guy open, and just a decent ability to attack the paint. The Lakers need all the skill sets that they can get. It's not just high energy guys. And here's a guy that's like, okay, he can pass dribble and shoot. So I'm not the most fond of his ball handling. It's he dribbles really high. And I think it makes him a little bit more turnover prone, especially for a guy who I think is going to be a role player next level. But if you're asking a role player on this specific Laker team to, Hey, I need you to hit corner three point shots. If you can find that open man great. you might not get a lot of pick and roll opportunities, but if you hit that cross-court pass and hit the open shooter, that goes a long way. You know, usually role players, they just pass 15 feet, right? They pass to the post. They pass to the nearest wing. They may skip to the top of the arc, but they don't pass all the way cross-court. Helps lower the turnovers down, make the decision simple. He can make that kind of pass, and that goes a long way. Then there's Julian Champigny, who on any community mock draft that I've done this year, always seems to go late second round or undrafted. And I think it's because he's not seen as a kind of traditional wing athlete. Like the idea of a wing is, oh, we, we give this guy the ball and then he can go create something. And for the Lakers, well, they use LeBron as their wing. And technically they use AD in wing spots. He's basically 15 to 18 feet away getting the ball into the post, right? So Julian Champigny has been the number one option. I think it was for St. John's and he was just hitting contested shots. Yep. And he had some, what, what surprises me is he doesn't look athletic, right? When we think of defensive players, we kind of think of like, oh, um, maybe it's Marcus Smart. He's strong and he's quick and he can do a lot of things. You don't really think of like the Danny Greens out there who are just good positional defenders who just get the occasional deflection and sometimes are switchable. Champagne plays more of the latter kind of defense, and that's usually harder to recognize. So, hey, if he shows some verticality in the paint and then just, just affects anything defensively and then is able to hit contested shots. That's great. The transition for him is really, Hey, his usage is going to go from like 27%, which is already really high for a number one option to maybe 15 to 20. Can he have a shooting rhythm? Can he kind of stay motivated on both ends of the floor with the reduced usage? But if you're giving the Lakers a guy that can hit a contested three, I'm not, I mean, that's a good pick. So those are a couple of guys outside of, Ellis and Jabari Walker that you're looking at as well. Champagne is someone we were talking beforehand between covering the Lakers and me covering IU as well with the podcast. I didn't get to watch a lot of other basketball. Fortunately, Champagne is someone I saw IU play and he, I mean, you, if you want somebody that can hit a contested shot, uh, St. John's made a run late in that game on the back of him just bearing a multitude of contested three pointers. He was six of 12 from three that game. He had 32 points. Uh, one of his higher scoring games of the season, second highest scoring game of the season. So um, he very much can do that, but yeah, his size is something that 
struck me as well. He's a six, eight guard basically. So someone that is going to be able to, to get his shot off over top of closeouts and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, he adjusting, it's always interesting to see guys adjust from being the number one guy to being a role player. And ideally it's, you get somebody like Austin Reeves who made that adjustment seamlessly last season. And that's the hope, but it it may not always be uh, what ends up happening. Vince Williams um, last two seasons at VCU uh, just a tick under five threes per game, 39% shooting. Shooting is something that the Lakers did not have a ton of last season as well. Um, it's something that, uh, will presumably be a target of some sort, uh, for the Lakers, either with this second round pick or as undrafted free agents. Is there any like specific shooters that you think, uh, the Lakers could target with that pick? Um, I I think with Keon Ellis, Champagne and and Vince Williams, those are the kind of shooters I'm looking for. I'm not, I'm not generally looking for the 40% to mid 40% three point shooter. I'm kind of looking for guys that can they hit contested shots? Do they have a lot of volume and confidence in those shot at multiple corners, not just straight ahead or the corner shot. And can they show some shot variation? Do they take those shots off of screens? Do they do it one V one? Do they do it out of the occasional pick and roll situation? And that's kind of what I was leaning towards. So, you know, I I think as we mentioned earlier with AD and LeBron, just kind of making things easier for everyone, they're going to get open shots. That's going to happen. I don't expect a lot of guys to respect rookies three-point shots from the jump. So they kind of have to earn earn it by making them, really. Uh, Otherwise, veterans won't close out on them anyway. So those shots are going to be open early on. Maybe later in the season, they'll be more contested, but we're talking about guys that we're hoping that can steal 10, 15 minutes away and maybe provide impact later on into more of a specialist kind of role. So, you know, I mean, if they can hit 30%, we're not, we're not asking for some super high bar, but if they can hit 30% behind the arc and multiple corners of the floor, while AD and LeBron draw the traffic, that's all the Lakers kind of need, especially if they're going to play the, the defensive end pretty well. And I keep referencing Austin Reeves in this, but he's like a, a perfect example yeah. for, for so many things here because you saw last season, beginning of the year, defenses weren't acknowledging him as a shooter, basically. And uh, that Dallas game that he hit the game winner, um, it was a wide open game winner because defenses weren't worried about him as a shooter. He shot 39% from three uh, through that Dallas game uh, before he had covid and then came back there was some tape on him now uh he struggled and uh it was 23 percent for the next 25 games and then he rebounded decently down the stretch before that big game to uh close the season so i think that's an example of you kind of got to earn your chops and earn the respect of, of defenses uh when it comes to something like that when it comes to shooting and defenses will adjust and then it's kind of a a chess match of adjustments back and forth a couple other things i want to we're going to touch on here some bigs that we might look at or some some first round picks that might slip out of the um 
first round that the Lakers could pounce on. We'll take a look at all that here in just one moment. One other area that the Lakers, I mean, there were a number of areas the Lakers struggled, but one specifically, I should say, last season was uh, at center. Uh, DeAndre Jordan shockingly did not work. Once he was gone, uh, they patched together a lot of things. LeBron at center, Stanley Johnson at center, winning Gabriel at center. It worked in in patches, but long term, it's probably not the most ideal thing. And you don't need uh, on paper... um, a lot out of the center position, at least under Frank Vogel, you needed athleticism more than anything, but obviously things could be different under Darvin Ham. but is there any big men uh, that potentially could play alongside AD that you think the Lakers could be looking at? The only big man that comes to mind within that kind of draft range is Trevion Williams. And I know you're, you're <laughs> such a big fan of Trevion. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll just highlight the one thing of why he sticks out to me. Uh, every year, there's a guy that's a specialist at something. And for everything else, he may not be the greatest, but all of a sudden he sticks in the league for that one thing. Uh, one guy that sticks out for me last year was like Herb, Herb Jones. And yep. he's with the Pelicans now. And he was a defensive specialist. He is not known as a playmaker. He's not known as a shooter. He was a high motor defensive player. And then the Pelicans worked on the shooting and now you can play this rookie 20 minutes and he can really have impact. Well, with Trevion, this guy finds open corner players. He sees the full width of the floor. And I mentioned earlier how role players usually pass 15 feet away to make things simple. Trevion can make the entire cross-court pass. Uh, I've, I've talked to other people and when we see Trevion in the post and then we'll see like Jokic hit the cross corner pass to the corner shooter kind of like blind. And then the ball whips by a defender's head because they're not even looking. Trevion's made that kind of pass about a handful of times throughout the entire season. So I wish that he had more shooting range and then we can project him like Draymond Green because, you know, that's what we'll do. <laughs> I wish he was more of a rim protector. You know, he's a big guy. He's really strong. He can hold his own paint in the paint physically. But it's that passing and defensive rebounding that I think will get him on the floor, even if it's just, like I said, the the 10 minutes of of substitution play. Because sometimes you just need to find a shooter that's open. And open shooters don't always get the ball on this team. And it would be nice just to get them the ball at the right time. And, you know, I don't want to really see a season of, LeBron and AD getting to the rim or getting a ton of contested shots with, you know, two guys around them within 10 feet, there's open guys, you know, it's a higher percentage shot. Just get them the ball. And here's a guy that can do it. So that's my case for Trevion. My uh, disdain for him is tied strictly to him being a Purdue guy. Uh, (laughs) And because he is a super talented player, a super unique prospect, because this is very much like a, back to the basket type of big man, six, eight, um, seven, two wingspan, 265 pounds. And I don't think it's a exaggeration to say he might be the best passer in this draft. Like he, he's, he, he's up there among the best at the very least. And that's just, it's such a unique guy to watch. Uh, if he didn't play at Purdue, I probably would like watching him a lot because uh, he has this, unique blend of skills that you just don't really see. So uh, 
Now, the Lakers have brought him in for a workout, so they saw him up close firsthand. Um, statistically, uh, last season, he came off the bench after being an All-American. Uh, he came off the bench for, I mean, it was a pretty deep Purdue team, uh, but they also had a 7-4 guy starting at center and Zach Eady. So uh, they had a lot of depth in the front court. He averaged 12 points, 7.4 rebounds in 20 minutes per game. Uh, the season prior was 15 and nine, but as you said, not a ton in the way of range. Um, and he shot 35% from three last year. He took 14 shots in 37 games from three. So uh, there's a lot of work you would have to do there, but I, I do like the, the point you made about Herb Jones, somebody that is very, very good at one specific skill set. And if you can work with him and get him to uh, just get better at a couple other things, then you have a really unique guy there. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see Travion Williams playing next to a LeBron because of that passing acumen and LeBron's ability is a an off ball guy, a cutter, especially as a small ball center. We saw his ability to pin guys deep under the rim and Travion's the type of guy you could put at the high post and he could find LeBron in situations like that. So let's look at some uh, ideal scenarios. Say a guy is slipping in the draft and the Lakers make the call to whoever it might be and say, Hey, we want the 40th pick. What I'm not sure who, Minnesota, we want the 40th pick because somebody slipped. Who would that be or who are a couple guys that might slip out of the first round or you're hoping maybe slip out of the first round that the Lakers can target? I I mean, there's. I'm just going to put out a general list of names of guys I like yeah. in the first round because I expect this draft to be especially volatile. And on a team that specifically needs wings, this is a very wing-heavy, talented kind of draft. So – just to throw out names, Marjan Bochamp, I expect him late first. Uh, Jaden Hardy, late first, more of a guard, still can't ignore him. Dalen Terry, kind of a big guard kind of wing. Uh, Jake LaRavia, more of a four, but he he can, un, unlike uh, Trevion Williams, he can actually dribble, pass, and shoot with range. Um, you know, I, I could just keep on going. I'll, I'll list more of a second round guy. So David Roddy is someone I've written about before on uh, on my Substack on Lakers draft. And he's just a really unique player. We've talked about players with high motor. He also has a high motor. What makes him unique is he has to be more of a specialist fit. He isn't really a perimeter oriented defender. He's, oh man. I mean, he's listed at 6'6". Uh, I think that's probably optimistic. He's listed at 261 pounds on Takeathon. That might be more accurate, but he's comfortable kind of defending the post area, more of an interior player and showing some verticality around the rim. And he has three point range. He actually has passing acumen. He can actually rebound. I'm surprised he's not a first round pick. So if he slips and there's the idea of, well, maybe ID AD doesn't really like defending post post players and LeBron sure as hell doesn't and well let's throw this rookie over there and then he can at least hold a guy around the painted area just keep his hands up and maybe force some turnovers he's actually pretty good at that and have AD and LeBron kind of help over then that'd be great I mean it's hard to ignore his defensive rebounding ability he can push in transition 
I, this will sound like I'm exaggerating, but you know, it's hard to think of six, four guys that can rebound, push the ball up the floor and then finish the first guy that comes to mind is, Oh, hall of famer Barkley. I'm not trying to project that far. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but if we're thinking about say a role like PJ Tucker, right. He's roughly that height. And he was a forward that kind of turned into a big, and he was a big rebounding player out of Texas. And he developed his three point shooting later his career overseas before bringing it over with uh, learning at Phoenix and whatnot. Well, David Roddy is kind of that kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, he'd be a great high energy player for the, for the Lakers overall. It's interesting. Uh, He is listed on tankathon at least at 35 Sam Vecini at the athletic uh, listed him at 68 on his big port. So uh, somewhere in the middle of those, I would imagine uh, he would be drafted. He's not somebody the Lakers have worked out yet. So uh, there's still time this week. They also don't always tell us who they worked out. Uh, We found out multiple times after the fact that guys have come in for workouts. Um, So he very much could have at some point, or they may have spoken at some point. Uh, One other thing I wanted to talk about, and I didn't prep you for this. So if you don't know a whole lot, um, that is fine. But uh, the Lakers have talked and worked out and whatnot with a number of UCLA, UCLA guys, excuse me. Um, Excuse me. They talked to Peyton Watson at the combine, did an interview with him. They had, Johnny, I think Juzang is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, they had him come in for a workout. They had Jules Bernard come in for a workout. Is there anything from any of those guys that jump out to you that could make them intriguing? So let me start with Peyton Watson, because I, I field a lot of questions about UCLA guys, especially Peyton. Peyton Watson is interesting because he looks every bit the high motor NBA defender wing athlete that the Lakers are looking for Um, in terms of offense. And this is where it's kind of a record scratch. um, He shows one skill and it's two dribbles into the paint, pull up from that 10 to 15 mid range shot. Now on the parent team, that is not going to be helpful. You can squeeze all the defenders into the paint. Watson's not really the kind of guy that's going to draw the kind of gravity fine but if you want to project on a potential ball handler and nba wing defender and maybe work on that shot down the down the line he'd be a great find sometimes there are situations that aren't the most ideal or programs that aren't the most ideal for specific prospects and sometimes i get that vibe from Payne watson because i know there's more in there and unfortunately, the tape doesn't show as much as it could. But if you want to make a defensive bet, I would make that defensive bet with Watson. Um, Bernard, uh, one thing I liked about his game was he's a pull-up shooter. And he's able to do a series of combination moves to open up that three-point shot. Change of direction, hesitation. Um, he times his uh, footwork with screens well. And then he could get the shot over the defender. I mean, if people want to get a clearer picture, they could think of like D'Angelo Russell, who creates the same kind of shots. It's like that. Um, no, he doesn't have the length of D'Angelo. We're still looking at mid-second to undrafted. 
but the way he combines his moves together, I mean, shot creation is the most important valuable skill at the NBA. And if you think a role player can do that outside of just catch and shoot and not always get to the rim on attacking closeouts and just say, hey, I can create a little bit off of mid-range too, or hey, I can create out of pick and roll when there's a mismatch, that's the guy. Now, then there's also uh, Johnny Juzang. Juzang is really interesting to me because he hits a lot of contested long-range two-pointers. He's a solid three-point shooter, right? Um, I think he's still mid-30% mid behind the arc. But a guy that can hit a contest, contested shot is important to this team. We, talked to, we mentioned uh, Julian Champagny earlier. With Johnny Juzang, you just kind of wish that the distance was there too. We wish that he could shoot from the range with those kind of contests. But in any of these cases, you know, Lakers want to give these guys a shot. Great. If they end up out South Bay, great. I'm not going to frown on any of them. Um, there's that speaks to the aspect of what I think they do best too. So, you know, um, you've got Juzang shooting, you've got uh, you've got Watson's defensive projection. So the, that's what I think of the UCLA guys. It'll be interesting to see how the Lakers approach this pick because we've seen them go both directions in the past. Um, they took a guy like Jordan Clarkson. Uh, I mean, this was obviously long, long ago, but he stepped in and um, contributed right away, albeit on a really bad team, but he was ready to step in and, and contribute but then they also took a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker who was a couple years away they developed him in the the G League and eventually brought him along and uh, for all the frustrations that there were with him last season he still has developed into a, a very very nice role player so it seems like Watson could be something closer to the THT model where you develop him into something um, and he's able to contribute down the line it's just going to be interesting to see. You would imagine, considering the expectations of the the franchise, that it would be someone more of a when now contributor. But who knows? I mean, the the Lakers' strength is developing guys and finding these guys and and, and working them through their system and developing them into something. So it, it, I wouldn't be mad if that's what they did. It'd be a little bit more of a long term approach. But I fully trust what the Lakers have been able to do. Last question. It's impossible to answer. You uh, you did it last year. You 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 called your shot with Austin Reeves. Who's going to be this year's Austin Reeves now? Uh, Keon Ellis. Really? Just as simple as that. Uh, usually when it comes to the draft, uh, I look for guys that I don't think are, are being looked at with the correct lens. And I thought that was very easily Reeves last year. Uh, with Keon Ellis, I think people just see a 23-year-old. Oh, he's short and he's light. So... They, there's this idea of, oh, he's a small point guard and he's not really a point guard. He's a two. If you can play, you can play. That's, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if he's 18, if he's 25, the Lakers can use that. If you can shoot threes, play with energy defensively and stay out of foul trouble, even better, Keon Ellis can absolutely do that. The benefit of the Lakers with LeBron James is that uh, he's so versatile that you can just kind of stick talented guys out there around him and tell LeBron to play any kind of number of roles and it works. So, and, and in the positionless uh, age that we're entering, uh, you can get guys like that, put them on the floor and 
and hope for the best and see what they're able to produce in, in uh, the talent that they have. Mike, as always, I appreciate you uh, coming on and doing this. And it's always fun to talk to you about the draft. Let the people know where they can uh, find you on, on social media and find your Substack at that you mentioned. Sure. They can find me at Kenyon Driver on Twitter or liquorsdraft.substack.com. Yeah. And I highly recommend you guys uh, subscribe to that Substack. He's written about a number of guys that we've mentioned uh, on today's podcast. So there's video clips attached with each of them. So make sure you guys are subscribed to that because this is the big week. This is this is your Christmas, as we said, and uh, hopefully it ends with a nice little present for the Lakers at the end of it. Uh, I'll be back next week to preview. We're we're close to free agency now. We're going to be start <laughs> start talking about free agency when I'm back next week. So uh, we'll recap a little bit about the draft and then talk about free agency and whatnot. So it is coming thick and fast. Make sure you guys are subscribed to. Uh, the podcast, wherever you, you listen to us at, and we'll be back next week.